Good morning. Our text for this morning is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 to 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 to 12. And we will read the text together. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And may God the Holy Spirit grant us the grace to understand the text before us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank Thee for the Word of God that we have in our hands, even this morning. And we thank, thank Thee, Lord, that every word of it is gospel truth, that it is dependable and God-breathed. And as we open Thy Word this morning, we pray that the Spirit of God will be pleased to illuminate our understanding of the text before us and to thrill our souls with the things that we discover here this morning. For we ask it always in his name and for his glory. Amen. The title of our sermon for this morning is God will repay them that trouble you. God will repay them that trouble you. Shortly after writing 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul was led of the Holy Spirit to write yet another epistle to this local body of believers at Thessalonica, which appropriately is named 2 Thessalonians. 
Apparently, during the time that had elapsed between the writing of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, some difficulties had arisen in Thessalonica which needed to be addressed. It seems that some of these new believers still misunderstood the teachings that the Apostle Paul gave them concerning the day of the Lord. If you recall, in the past few messages, we briefly examined the day of the Lord, which would come as a thief in the night, as being a time period rather than one actual day. It would therefore include several events and terrible judgments before the actual physical return of Christ to this earth. And although the Thessalonian believers were waiting and looking for the Lord's return in the air, they still had some misconception about this day of the Lord. Some of them felt that since he could return at any moment, it would be useless to work for a living. While others who were undergoing extreme persecution and distress thought that they must surely be entering the great tribulation. It seems that the Apostle Paul's teaching on the rapture in chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, still needed to be clarified through yet another epistle. And thus we have the second epistle to the Thessalonians by the Apostle Paul. In chapter 1, we have four general divisions the first of these coming in verses 1 and 2, which I've entitled The Apostles' Address to the Thessalonians. Paul and Silas and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that the Apostles' address to this church is exactly the same as in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, and that this is the only church which he addresses this way, unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not only in Christ, whom they acknowledged as their Lord and Savior, but they were also in the Father, and He in them. What a tremendous thought and revelation here. Paul, I'm sure, had taught these new believers about the indwelling of the full Godhead and all believers. Thus, this address comes as no surprise. We recall the Lord's Prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed just this very thing in John 17, verses 20 to 23. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, 
and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. This speaks to the believer about his oneness with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It tells him also of his eternal security, that if he is in God, then God who is also in him will keep him. It also spoke to the Thessalonians about their family relationship, that they were all in the family of God. Though they were young believers, they all knew God as their father. Paul greets them again with grace and peace, two very precious words to the believer's ear. Grace is what comes to us from God the Father to see us through the difficulties in life, through the troubled spots, and of course through that final journey alone known as the valley of the shadow of death. And then there is peace from God. This peace here is not the peace with God, but rather the peace of God, that peace which the book of Philippians speaks about in chapters 4-7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It is that supernatural peace that comes only from God. It is that same peace of which Jesus spoke when he comforted his disciples in John 14-27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It is that peace which all saints of God pray for, so that they might know him and his presence in their lives. It is that peace that even in the midst of the most terrifying circumstances or afflictions, can bring sweet and soft assurance to the troubled heart and soul that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Then in verses 3 to 4, we come to the second point in our message this morning, which I've entitled The Apostles' Appreciation for the Thessalonians. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Prayer is what brings power into a believer's life, and Paul was one who experienced great spiritual power because of his prayer life. Here we see him again giving thanks to God for these young believers at Thessalonica. But if we look closely at his prayer, we will notice that it is a prayer of thanksgiving for something that God had already done 
as a result of answered prayer. If we recall one of Paul's earlier prayers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, he asked the Lord to make them increase and abound in love one toward the other, and that God would establish their hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Well, God honored the apostles' request in prayer and blessed these young believers in increasing their love one to another and in causing their faith to also grow exceedingly. It is interesting to note that faith and love usually go hand in hand. As our faith increases, so too does our love, love for our Savior and love toward one another. But as our faith stagnates, so too does our love. It is a sad thing for many Christians that their faith has stopped growing. Their love for the brethren and love for the Savior grows cold too. For our faith to grow, it must be tested. It must be fed daily by the feeding on the Word of God. If we become careless and neglect our prayer time and our feeding time, it will not be long before our love starts to also grow cold toward the things of God and even God himself. Whenever the Lord measured his disciples' love for him, it was always in connection with obedience to his word. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is that loveth me. John 14, 21. And then in the same chapter, verse 23, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And also in that same chapter, verse 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. These are all sorts, there are all sorts of Christians who go about emotionally charged and excited about the work they are doing for the Lord, but are always too busy to spend sufficient time in prayer and in the study of his word. Unknowingly, their first love begins to grow cold and their faith stops to grow. Yet they are so busy serving that they scarcely recognize their backslidden condition. And once the excitement and enthusiasm dwindles and fatigue sets in, there is nothing to fall back on. And so the Christian becomes discouraged and disillusioned. But not so with these believers at Thessalonica, at least not yet at the writing of this second epistle. The Apostle Paul was delighted with their spiritual growth, their patience, and their faith kept growing in the midst of all of those persecutions and tribulations. And he was greatly encouraged by them because of it. It is a proven fact that the church grows spiritually and numerically in times of persecution and tribulation, but stagnates in times of prosperity and affluence. America has seen very little revival or growth in the Church of the True Living God this latter part of the 
20th and 21st century, while the church has grown quite dramatically in other parts of the world, such as China, Russia, and wherever persecution and affliction were the order of the day. Unfortunately, our affluence and leisure time have slowly recaptured the hearts of many Christians here in America today, and the testimony for our Savior has grown lukewarm. America be forewarned. The Lord's warning to the church of Laodicea is also our warning in Revelation 3, 15-19. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So many times persecution and tribulation can be blessings in disguise, and if Christians are enduring them for the Savior's sake, it is their token of assurance, which brings us to our third point in the message, which I've called the Apostles' Assurance to the Thessalonians, verses 5 to 10, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. The Apostle Paul takes great pains to assure them that these trials, these persecutions, these tribulations are not to be confused or mistaken for the great tribulation that was yet to come during that lengthened period of time known as the Day of the Lord. These present sufferings which they were experiencing were from the hands of wicked men because of their testimony for Christ. These tribulations 
were not brought upon them by God in the way of judgment. In fact, writes the Apostle Paul, it is a token or a sign to you believers at Thessalonica that you have been deemed worthy of the kingdom of God to suffer these things. Your testimony for Jesus Christ is so powerful that you have become his instruments of conviction to the world around you. Remember what the Lord said in John 15:19, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And the reason they hate you is because they are being reproved by the Holy Spirit in you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and they don't like it. They hate it, and anyone who brings it to their attention. The scriptures also tell us in Philippians 1.29, For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And in 2 Timothy 2.12, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And of course, we all are familiar with 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It is the way things are. Christians will sooner or later be called to suffer for their faith. There is no escape. Though each Christian may suffer in a different way, suffer nonetheless he or she will. So take heart. Don't be discouraged. You are suffering now for the Savior's sake. These are not the Savior's judgments brought upon you. This is not yet the day of the Lord. But then Paul assures them in another way as well. Those who are persecuting you, believers, God will take vengeance upon them when the right time comes. He will punish them himself. When he returns to this earth to establish his kingdom, to restore Israel's glory in the millennial reign, he will judge the wicked. Those that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. They will be banished from his presence. Now the scriptures have a lot to say about sin and punishment and judgment. These are unpleasant topics. The world does not wish to hear about them and yet they will hear of the pleasant topics which the Bible speaks about such as heaven and the love of God and his mercy. But when it comes to the justice of God, the world accuses God of unrighteousness and severity and cruelty, that God is too hard to punish a soul for all eternity. And yet they still reject his offer of mercy 
in the form of his son. And not only do they reject his son, but they reject those who have received his son. And so for those who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is no hope. If they will not have the love of God through Jesus Christ, then someday they must face the justice of God themselves. Then we come to the last point in our message this morning, verses 11 to 12, which I've entitled The Apostles' Appeal for the Thessalonians. Wherefore also we pray always for you that God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those whom Paul knew in the Lord, he loved very dearly. He uplifted their souls in prayer consistently because he understood only too well the impossibility of doing the work in the flesh. He called upon the most powerful being in the universe, the Lord our God. Paul later penned these powerful and penetrating words in Romans 8, 31-32. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? His desire for these Thessalonians was that they would prosper spiritually. He rarely prayed for their material needs or comforts, but most often, rather, that their souls prosper and that they grow spiritually. Here in the 11th verse, we see three things for which he appeals to God on their behalf. The first of these is that God would count them worthy of their calling. Now, the scriptures have a lot to say about the calling of Christians. In Philippians 3.14, Paul later writes, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So the calling of all believers is a high calling. Secondly, in Hebrews 3.1, we read that it is a heavenly calling. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. And then thirdly, our calling as believers is a holy calling, according to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And so Paul prays that God may count them worthy of their calling, 
which is first a high calling, secondly a heavenly calling, and thirdly a holy calling. It is not rather their own worthiness that the apostle is referring to here, but that worthiness which God the Holy Spirit, through his grace, creates in them. Secondly, Paul prays that God might fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in them. There are many good works of grace begun in the hearts and lives of God's people, which come from this good pleasure of God's goodness. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And then in Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And Paul's prayer was to see God fulfill his purpose in these young Thessalonian believers as they yielded themselves more and more to God. Then thirdly, he prayed that God would fulfill the work of faith with power, that their work of faith would continue to grow and continue to be fueled and empowered by the Spirit of God. Then as we come to the last verse, we see the reason why Paul prayed this way. It was to be all for the glory of God. It was so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in them and they in him. Should not this also be our ultimate goal or objective? that everything that we do should be to the glory of God our Father and Savior. Our own desires and purposes and that of others should come secondary to his. It is, after all, a commandment of the Lord. In Matthew 5:16, as our Lord uh, delivered the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Let your life so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Our good works, empowered by the Spirit of God, ought to shine in such a way before men that others may glorify God, and that Christ then may be glorified in us and by us, and then we in turn will be glorified in him and with him. And so ends the first introductory chapter of 2 Thessalonians. In the second chapter, the Apostle will once again turn to the day of the Lord and establish them in some more sound doctrine so that they will not be easily shaken by the wrong teachings that was going on around them. Lord willing, we'll look at that second chapter of Thessalonians uh, number 2 at some later date. But now, before I step down from this platform, this morning, as always, I must ask you, are you 
saved? Are you genuinely a child of God? Have you ever trusted Christ as your one and only Savior based on his work on Calvary's cross as your sin bearer? Have you been truly born again of the Spirit of God and passed from death onto life? And do you now have assurance that all your sins have been forgiven? If you do, are you then living for Christ and putting him first in your life? Or do you still continue to do your own things first? Well, dear friends, this is a most urgent call to each of us here this morning as it is also a most urgent call to everyone who has an ear to hear elsewhere. The time is at hand. The world's financial system is in disarray and on the brink of destruction. The environment is deteriorating at an alarming rate. There is political unrest worldwide. Closer to home, we see unprecedented breakups of the family units, crime and violence out of hand. This is exactly what our Lord predicted would be the scenario immediately before his return in Matthew 24, 4-12. There will be, he said, much false teaching and many false prophets who will deceive the people. You only need to Turn on your television and see all of the false prophets prophesying all sorts of nonsense. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. We see that being fulfilled today in the Middle East and especially in Ukraine with the invasion of the Russian bear attacking, destroying Innocent people, many of our brethren are being destroyed, men, women, and children, and so on. For what reason? Greed. They simply want more land. There shall also be famines and pestilence. Well, we've seen the kind of pestilence that the world is able to create and foist upon us with these pandemics that have cause such destruction worldwide. Followers of Christ shall be delivered up, afflicted, and killed for his name's sake. Well, friends, we dare not take our calling lightly. We all need to seriously examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And if we are, we need to compassionately and diligently reach out to our neighbors and friends and co-workers with the gospel of salvation. We need to immerse ourselves in prayer and study the word daily. We need to meet for corporate prayer and around the Lord's table more faithfully so that when we are tested, we will be able to draw on his strength and his grace and we will find that it will be sufficient. Remember his final words to the churches in the last days in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. 
To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. While closer to home, we see how even our own government has violated the laws of the land and individual freedoms enshrined in our Charter of Rights by legally enacting, invoking the Emergency Act recently upon peaceful citizens. Earlier last year, pastors have been imprisoned for the preaching of the gospel in their churches in defiance of government orders to close churches because of a virus that had been accidentally or intentionally released upon the world. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 Today, more than ever before, we need to be walking closer with the Lord and reaching as many as we possibly can with the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee so much for this little gathering that we have been privileged to meet in these most trying and hostile times each Lord's Day in this little home. We pray that thou might be pleased to honor our meetings and bless our times together, strengthen our faith, encourage our souls, and guide us as to whom we should reach with the gospel of Christ. Give us a boldness of spirit so that we may, when put to the test, obey God rather than man. Part us now with thy blessing, we pray, and if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us together next Lord's Day. For we ask it in his name, and always, Lord, for his glory.